because you are still waiting for that Hogwarts letter. Thank you, Allie14 in Virginia. This is MuggleCast episode 47 for July 9th, 2006. Your number one source for all your internet needs, GoDaddy.com has new domain names, transfers, and renewals for as low as $1.99. Plus, check out their hosting plans, website builders, secure certificates, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E when you check out, and save an additional 10% off any order. Get your piece of the internet today at GoDaddy.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to MuggleCast, episode 47. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Jamie Lawrence. Jamie? Silence. I, sorry, I said my, I said my name. <laughs> ben started it. <laughs> okay, I'm Laura Thompson. And I'm Greg Porter. Before we go any further, let's go to Micah Tannenbaum for a, a look at this past week's Harry Potter news stories. A Canadian court ordered the Weird Sisters band to pay back WB's legal fees incurred while fighting the original court case. The band says that they are appealing the court's decision and will continue to push their $40 million lawsuit against Warner Brothers. A spokesperson from WB says that they are extremely hopeful that they will continue to prevail in this case. Fans have speculated that Harry Potter 7 will hit shelves on July 7, 2007, and now an article by CNN Money describes how a 2007 release for the final Harry Potter book is just what the struggling American publisher needs. The company is optimistic that its profits won't completely flatline following the publication of Harry Potter 7. And given Scholastic's relationship with author J.K. Rowling, they should be in good position to work with her in the future. Warwick Davis has let us know about a charity auction he's holding in Peterborough, UK on Sunday, July 16th. The auction lineup includes many exciting pieces of Harry Potter memorabilia, with the star item being a very rare original Quidditch World Cup program as seen in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. What makes this one extra special is that it's been signed by Daniel Radcliffe. Warwick will be personally auctioning off the items and complete information on the auction is available over on MogleNet.com. In the latest edition of Entertainment Weekly, the magazine offers their odds on various characters perishing in the final Harry Potter book. Ron comes in at a modest 20 to 1, Ginny's looking grim at 6 to 1, Hagrid isn't getting any love at 3 to 2, Hermione seems safe at 50 to 1, Snape is in serious trouble at 2 to 1, Harry is in danger at 9 to 2, and Voldemort, well, he has little chance with even odds. Wasn't that a really feel-good segment? ComingSoon.net has posted a new interview with M. Night Shyamalan, director of great thrillers such as The Sixth Sense, Signs, and more recently, The Village. Now partnered with Warner Brothers, Shyamalan was asked if he's been approached to direct one of the last two Potter films. To hear his response, be sure to check out the full interview over on MuggleNet.com. Speaking of the movies, more Order of the Phoenix set photos surfaced earlier this week. You can check out brand new shots of Privet Drive, Hagrid's Hut, and the Hogwarts Express over on our main page. Finally, J.K. Rowling, president of the Multiple Sclerosis Society Scotland, say that five times fast, was presented Thursday with a doctorate of laws by Aberdeen University for her generous and philanthropic work aiding multiple sclerosis research. So congratulations are in order to Joe for this very prestigious degree. That's all the news for this July 9th, 2006 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. Thanks, Micah. Before we move on to this week's listener rebuttals, let's take a look at a few announcements. Buy your MuggleCast t-shirt. Jamie, why should they buy a MuggleCast t-shirt? Uh, because because we haven't ever told them before, so I doubt many people will have bought theirs, you see. So I thought we'd uh, mm-hmm. provide you know an, one new announcement so everyone can get theirs in time for Lumos and New York, which leads smoothly into our next announcement, doesn't it, Ben? Yes, it does. We need you, if you're going to be attending either live podcast, either in New York City 
or in uh, Las Vegas for Lumos, you need to visit LeakyMug.com and RSVP. Jamie, what does RSVP stand for? Uh, right, my French accent is going to be ridiculously rusty. It's répondez s'il vous plaît, which is please reply or reply please. Mm-hmm. So please reply. Move on to our next announcement. Everyone, 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 please vote for us in the 2006 Podcast Awards. We are going for Best Entertainment Podcasts and People's Choice. So you can do that by going to podcastawards.com. And remember, nominate us once every 24 hours. Okay, so we have a chance to win a podcast award. And go to California. Yeah, <laughs> so we want to go to California. Yes. So wait, <laughs> that, that wait. What... Didn't you forget the uh, best uh, podcast called MuggleCast Award? Oh, yeah. Please, oh, please, yes. Please vote for us in that category. It's a, um, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we really hope to win. Others. Yeah, it's going to be a. It's yeah, but Greg, our main contender is that one called MuggleCast. You know, it's sort of between. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, between us and them. We want to be. We want to. There's some people over this podcast called Nobody Likes Onions that I heard they really, really want to see us win the podcast <laughs> awards. So, so please, please go ahead and vote for us the podcast awards. Another time, another thing that you that you should vote for us for is vote for us on Podcast Alley because right now our our friends over at Pottercast are beating us. So we need you to vote, okay? So please go vote for us at Podcast Alley, right, Jamie? Uh, yes, please do, please do. Remember, if you vote for Pottercast, it means you hate us. <laughs> you don't hate us, do you? And also, every time you vote for Pottercast, God kills a kitten. Yes. <laughs> Twice. So no voting for Pottercast. Vote for MuggleCast, people. So that wraps up this week's announcements. So in short, buy your MuggleCast t-shirt, shirt, RSVP for Lumos, vote for us in the Podcast Awards, and Podcast Alley. Here are our this week's voice rebuttals sent in by listeners who have feedback to give us on the past week's show. Hey, my name is Cheryl, and I'm calling from uh, Santa Clarita, California. And I'm calling as a listener rebuttal for MuggleCast number 26 in reference to um, the Aquamancy. And I side with Ben regarding the pensive and the memories. I do believe that the memories are still stored in your brain. It's just that the maybe the details of these memories are what you store in the pensive. The reason why I mention this is if you uh, listen or reread the chapter in book five, um, it does not clearly stay, say that Snape is removing those memories from his brain for the lesson with Harry. He's just doing it. Maybe he's saving the memory to look it over over the discussion that they just had. Um, it, but nowhere does it state that he has to do it so that Snape doesn't, so that Harry doesn't see it. Otherwise, why would Harry suddenly see all his past about him being as a child, being beaten and all that? I'm sure Snape wouldn't want him to see that, so... Um, either way, I just want to say I side with Ben on this, and I do not think that um, just because you put it in a pen sieve, you you have no memory of it. Otherwise, how do you know it's, what's even in the pen sieve? You don't even remember it's there. So, okay, bye. Hi, this is Christina. Um, I'm in Pennsylvania. I actually have a listener rebuttal. You were saying how um, Dumbledore's memories are intensive and you were talking again about how whether or not it's a copy or the actual memory i think it's more of a copy because if you remember his memory of the prophecy is in both the hall of prophecies and in his own pantheon so what about that 
I think it's more of a copy and a compression inside your brain. Okay? Keep up the show. It's great. I love it. Bye. Hello, this is James. I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I was just uh, noting on episode 46 how you were talking that Joe does not want to leave it open for a sequel uh, for the Harry Potter 7. Um, that could mean that Harry is going to die. However, it could also mean that the epilogue could take place far in the future with Harry looking back on his adventures and how he put down Voldemort and how he has lived a happy life since then. Uh, that's all, and a great show, and I will talk to you. Okay, now it's time for this week's listener rebuttals, ones that are sent in via email by several visitors. Our first listener rebuttal comes from Taya, 19 years old, from Louisville, Kentucky. Hey, Andrew, after listening to you and the guys talk about the, re- the possibility of Snape saving Harry's life in the final battle, I came up with a theory of how I think it's all going to go down. There are lots of us out here who do not want to see Harry kill Voldemort with Avada Kedavra. One reason is because it would be rather boring. But another is that we just don't want Harry to have to kill anyone ever. So here's the solution. During the final battle, Snape, Snape blocks a killing curse sent at Harry by Voldemort. He dies to save Harry. This then offers Harry the same protection that Lily provided him back at Godric's Hollow. Thus, when Voldemort sends another Avada Kedavra at Harry, it rebounds once again, this time killing Voldemort as he no longer has any horcruxes. I just think that there would be something very poetic about the story ending the way it began. I would love to know what you guys think. Thanks. I love the show. She, I read it. Sorry. That's why fanfiction exists. Yeah, Jamie, what do you think? Uh, I was going to say, I really like the idea about poetic justice and the story ending the way it began, but I think that's why Harry should kill Voldemort with the, with Avada Kedavra. It would be, it would be like a sort of, it would be a, a bad ending, but a good ending because of that. So he'd spend ages doing all his Horcruxes, then he'd just kill him, you know, just quickly, and it would be like you'd think, is that it? But then. I just think it. I just think it, it would work really well. So like, um, Voldemort tried to kill Harry with the Killing Curse, and it didn't work. And but Harry does kill Voldemort in the end. So it kind of shows an inferiority on uh, Voldemort's part, whereas Harry can do it. I just think. I just think it'll be nice. Well, Jamie, I just don't think that. I think there has to be something more to it than Avada Kedavra. I. I mean, I agree with him that you really don't want to see Harry kill anybody, but he's going to have to find a way to kill Voldemort anyways, and so... You've got to remember that Avada Kedavra isn't just Harry killing Voldemort. The killing process has started, you know, ages ago when he, uh, when the prophecy was first told and right, doing right, the core crisis. But, I just, well, that but kind of I, I just can't see if Voldemort, when Voldemort dies, or if he dies in the books, I just can't see it ending that way. I don't know, just... Yeah. It doesn't seem right to me for it just to be... Voldemort misses a curse that's shot at him and he dies because, you know, I just think it has, there has to be something more to it. And the theory that this person presents about Snape dying to save Harry, I don't think that that can happen because the reason that Harry survived when his mother died to save him was because of love and it was out of his Harry, mother's yeah. love. And Snape and, doesn't and, kill and him. Snape doesn't love Harry. Yeah. Snape's doing it because he owes him a debt because of his father. So I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think there's something more to it than Avada Kedavra. Laura, did you have some thoughts on it? Yeah, um, I think that it's been made pretty clear that Harry's the one who has to kill Voldemort, and it would be kind of like Voldemort killing himself with his own curse if he, you know, shot it at Harry and it rebounded on him. I think that whatever curse or anything that happens goes on has to come from Harry. I don't think rebounds count. I, I think that's right. But, Ben, you talking about that um, 
Snape doesn't love Harry, so he couldn't do it. I think I think that's right. And uh, I mean, this is to digress slightly, but I think it brings up a sort of important point in, in the books that there are some things that even magic can't change. Like you can't fake the love, you know. So you can't provide that type of protection to Harry. E- if you don't really love him, which is why it's, you know, such a powerful charm. Yes, definitely. I mean, I like this theory in that it provides a nice end to Voldemort, but I think even Avada Kedavra could be a nice end, because it, that wouldn't sum up the entire um, killing process, you know, it would just be the final step, and I think it would kind of wipe out all the emotions that have been that have been developed throughout the entire series. Thanks, thanks Taya, for sending that in to us. Now, moving on to our next listener bottle, which comes from Rose... Age Ah from <laughs> Jacksonville, Florida. I have a quick comment on the way Valdi turned out so bad. As much as I would love to think of Valdi as mentally subnormal, we are told very often by Dumbledore that Tom Riddle was one of the brightest students ever. Also, if we look at Harry, he has not exactly had an easy life of love and sunshine and gifts and candy. Harry has not turned out to be bad, and he had it worse than Tom, if you ask me. Tom lived in an orphanage anyway. Tom lived in a world of indifference, and Harry lived in a world of neglect. Who is to say what life can turn out a dark wizard? Last week, whenever I was talking about Voldemort having inherited some kind of mental problem from the inbreeding of the Gaunt family, I wasn't talking about him being less intelligent than anyone else. I was actually talking about that somewhat contributing to his deranged outlook on life. Because if you look at it, serial killers tend to be very intelligent people. So just because someone has an issue in their head doesn't mean that they're stupid. Um, as for you talking about um, Harry's life versus Voldemort's life, I agree with you completely, and I'm not sure if this got thrown in last week, but I remember in Half-Blood Prince, Dumbledore said, um, you know, how can you really feel sorry for Voldemort? Because he did have this predisposition to be evil, and he did have a bad upbringing, but he could have overcome it, and he chose not to. Uh, that pretty much sums up my thought on it. Um, but couldn't I mean uh, the two things that I first thought when I read this was um, Dumbledore talking about choice that you know even though um, Voldemort's had the worst time ever so as Harry one chooses a different life to you know somebody who chooses a, um, an- another life uh, so I think you know choice ha- has to come into it I just I mean this is really going in circles to what we talked about last week but I just don't think you can be born evil because it just it completely destroys any chance of choice in the world you know and and just and just suggests that fate and destiny take over everything which doesn't really seem to be a you know theme in the harry potter books but also i was going to talk about that uh they mentioned that dumbledore said that tom riddle was one of the brightest students ever and the brightest most evil people are the most dangerous people if you look at i mean you know if you look at hitler he was uh he was absolutely terrible but he was exceptionally clever you know mm-hmm. politically <laughs> financially you know everything he was one of the the greatest public speakers ever. So I think it, you know, it's all about choice, really. It's like Dumbledore said, you know, it's our choices far more than our abilities. Exactly, yeah. shape who we are. So, it, regardless of how they were raised, they both chose their own paths, and that's how they ended up. Our next listener rebuttal comes from Travis from North Carolina. Mugglecasters, most people I know think that the mirror of Irised will be seen again. And I got to thinking, is Harry going to use the mirror to find the location of the Horcruxes? He did He did basically the same thing with the stone. He changed his greatest desire from his family to, to finding the stone. Can he do that with the Horcruxes as well? Um, Just wanted to see what you thought. 
No, I th- I'm going to say no because the reason that the Hork, the reason that he got the stone was because Dumbledore made um, it that reason, way. Yeah, Dumbledore made it that way. So if Dumbledore wouldn't have made it that you can get the stone from the mirror, then it wouldn't have happened. Now, unless Voldemort made the Hork, made the mirror Horcrux. I don't know. I don't think so because. That would also require Dumbledore knowing, or whoever created the mirror, knowing where the Horcruxes were. And I don't think Voldemort would want to use something that Harry already knew how to use, clearly, from but the first isn't, book. But isn't there a difference between um, using the mirror to find the Horcruxes and using it to get the Horcruxes? So he could look into it and see himself, if the if his deepest, most desperate desire was to see where the Horcruxes were, he could see himself finding it. But uh, I think that it it must take a lot to change your greatest desire from seeing your family, who he hasn't ever known, to finding the Horcruxes. And also, surely, however much he wants to see where the Horcruxes are located, his deepest desire is always going to be over and above that, say, to kill Voldemort. Mm -hmm. So even though he really wants to find the Horcruxes, he wants to kill Voldemort more. So it could be like it's a Catch-22 situation with a mirror. I think it's possible, though. There's got to be a loophole somewhere that allows him to do it. Well, okay, the thing is, Jamie, is that... The thing is, is that if... Harry looks into the mirror, and his greatest desire is to have all the Horcruxes, it's not going to show him where the Horcruxes are. It's going to show himself holding all the Horcruxes. No, 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 because if his greatest desire was to know where the Horcruxes were located, not for him to have them all, then it would do. If his greatest desire... I mean, it depends on the wording and, you know, what his greatest desire is... If he really, really, really wants to be with the Horcrux, then it can show him with it, you know, so then he'd know where it was. I think it depends on, on, on how you interpret your greatest desire like that. That's definitely true. But I, I just can't see the mirror being able to guide him to it because then the mirror would have to have some innate knowledge of where it actually is located. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You would kind of have to have a different point of view on what the mirror can actually do. I mean, can it show you something that you don't know? I mean, something that you have absolutely no knowledge of. Like if I you... Mean, what like you mean if, if your greatest desire was to know what the meaning of life was? Could it tell you the meaning of life? Yeah, right. along those lines. Or like if someone went and buried something, like a horcrux, and you had no clue where it was, could it show you where that is? Because it's not like it's programmed into the mirror to know everything. It's not God. No, but... I mean, I assume the mirror hasn't seen... Harry's parents before, but they obviously look like... Well, I mean, no, I assume they look about, like what they look like. I'm talking about the mirror reflecting things that you know, and obviously I right. think Harry must have some kind of knowledge of his family. And recollection of what his people look like. Well, but that's not true, though, because don't you remember Harry looking into the mirror and saying he saw people who looked like him, who had oh, yeah, you know, eyes true, like his true. and had hair like his? Yeah. So, is it, but I don't think it's... That, but was that was actually images of his family members, or... You know, it's all it's all hard to explain because we don't know the magical process that goes into actually propagating images to be reflected on the mirror. But Ben, I think it's a it contradiction was you. in terms, though. Sorry, go I, on. I think it was you that said it a few episodes ago um, that everything that happens when you're a baby, you can remember it. It's just in a different part of your brain that's pretty hard to access. So, what if Harry had recollections of these family members that he saw as a baby? That that's true. That could be possible. Yeah. But um, the thing is, it's a contradiction in terms. If Dumbledore says that the mirror shows nothing less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts, but then we say that it can't show things that it doesn't know. It can't do both. You know, if your greatest deepest uh, desire of your heart is to 
is to, you know, find out the meaning of life. It has to show it to you. But that's where magic comes in. You know, mm. we can't explain this. Right. Well, that was an interesting discussion. But do you guys, the final thing he addresses, do you think that we'll actually be able to see the mirror again? We do, and don't we? Think that... Doesn't Joe say that it's going to make another appearance? No, that was I the got, car. Oh, oh really? The you sure it was the I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Because I recall, I don't know, maybe, Jamie, you read uh, Galadriel Waters' books because oh, yeah, I have she, says, oh. she says, uh, I think we will be seeing this mirror again. Like, except she had it backwards, kind of clever, like the the yeah, yeah, mirror yeah. Vera yeah, set has on it. You know, I, I show your, I should not, whatever, but your heart's desire. Yeah. Why do we always ask questions on here that we don't find an answer? We give one side, then we do the other side, and then we say, yeah, well, it could be either way, really, can it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm of the we opinion make, that you, have to, you have to have some kind of knowledge of what your desire is. I mean, or at least some kind of opinion, because... What if the mirror reflects, you know, if it reflects what you want, couldn't it reflect your opinion as well? That's true, well, but Jamie, yeah. Jamie, how could the mirror show you the meaning of life? Because if the, meaning, if the mirror could show you that, then what you wouldn't have the purpose of discovering the meaning of but life. But no, the, the, mirror, the mirror reflects your heart's desire, and Dumbledore said that many of many men have, have wasted, wasted away, away in front of it. Yeah, entranced yeah, by what so, they see. But if they're entranced by what they see, then it must, you know, it must, you know be pretty damn powerful, the, the, you know, the stuff that it can show. But I don't see how it can show nothing less or more than the deepest most desperate uh, desire in your hearts if it's got limitations that's a yeah that's a good point I think the limitations are based yeah, on the person yeah. looking in the mirror though what you mean it's sort of if I don't I don't think they're I don't think they're based on the mirror I think they're based on the person looking in it but but clearly from what Dumbledore says about that pe- people have wasted away before it um, it'll show you whatever you want, as long as you're not... Sorry, um, even if you're not worthy of it, you know, it'll always show you your deepest, most desperate desire in your heart, even if... Yeah, but couldn't it show you the deepest, most desperate desire in your heart as you would want to see it? Um, not not as well, it would if, be, but as you would wish to see it. Well, That's getting confusing, guys. <laughs> well, if, um, it's interesting, though. But if your deepest... Mo- I'm trying to think about this while speaking so sorry if it sounds stupid um <laughs> if the deepest most desperate desire in your heart is say you uh, um is say a subjective view of yourself and i think it will show you like that but i mean obviously yes of course because it shows ron you know um it shows Quidditch Ron. Captain. Yes, Quidditch captain. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, they, mm-hmm. so it it obviously shows stuff that that can't have a chance of happening as well. Because if it's what you desire most, it's going to show it to you. Because right, Harry um, sees his parents yeah, again, so when... and, and he's not going to see them in real life ever again. But as Dumbledore says, it shows n- neither truth nor something. So you know, it it simply just shows what you really, really want. <laughs> yeah. So it, it yeah. shows it as from the, your point of view. As the Spice Girls point out. The mirror says to you, so sh- tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Jamie, 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 when I look in the mirror, I see you. Really, well, I see you as well, Ben, so you know. Aww, we're, aww. Okay, well, thanks thanks to Travis for that. That's sparked a very interesting discussion. And now we still haven't come to a conclusion. We still haven't really yeah. come to a conclusion. Email us your thoughts. Our next listener boil comes from Serenity. I like that name. Age 16 from Boil Virginia. the land and burn the sea. You can't yeah. take the sky from me. Hey, Sorry, guys. While I was... 
<laughs> hey guys, while I was listening to your latest podcast, I realized that the possibility of Hagrid dying wasn't even discussed. A while back, I read a very good editorial discussing this, and there were, there were some very keen points. One... Black, white, and red are the three alchemy colors. Sirius is black, Albus means white, and Rubeus means red. J.K.R. has used many subtle hints throughout the series, and this might be one of them. Two, J.K.R. Said, said that in the interview with Emerson and Melissa that she wanted to kill off all those who Harry could depend upon so he, could, so he would be alone in facing Voldemort. And I think that they would most likely be the adults in his life. Finally, Joe has a knack for writing the unexpected. Who would have thought that Snape was trying to save Harry in book one? So since the, news, so since the newspapers, you guys, and many online polls haven't even mentioned Hagrid, don't you think that he is, he is a worthy candidate? Actually, around book five, Hagrid, the, all the bookies yeah. were taking bets. I think Hagrid they were. Was, I was uh, going to say that. Yeah. He was the number he, one person he, he, to he go. He was number they one, I think. Yeah, he, was, he, had, he had the best odds of dying. He was. And so I, it has been discussed before. So I don't know. I think the alchemy point about the red, white, and yeah. black, white, and red is very interesting. I, I think it's interesting. It is very interesting. I don't think we can depend on that as a main clue, though. I think we need to look at, you know, elsewhere to see it. I mean, Hagrid's clearly, um, you know, part of Harry's life now. And he's and I like to think he's going to, um, you know, be there when uh, when Harry, you know, has to do everything with Voldemort, but it obviously takes a lot to hurt him, as we see from the battle in Half Blood Prince. So I don't see, I don't know. It could be that Voldemort kills him personally to, you know, to. I don't know. I don't think that. Just to like incense well, Harry. She mentions how J.K. Rowling said that she wants to kill off everyone who's close to Hagrid, so he's left alone and facing Voldemort. I don't think she would have to kill Hagrid to accomplish that, because what what aid would Hagrid provide in? if he was battling Voldemort directly. You understand what I'm saying? If it was the case where um, he was battling Voldemort and Dumbledore was still alive, then Dumbledore would be able to, you know, assist him. And Sirius would be able to say, because they're both trained and qualified wizards. Hagrid was expelled in his third year, so what's he going to do? Run at him with his... Exactly, yeah. He could could hide behind him and then sort of rugby tackle his legs and take him down. (laughs) But I I don't think that helping Harry defeat Voldemort necessarily means... Actually, facing Voldemort, Do he you could mean aid. Emotionally? Well, not just that; he could aid Harry in so many other ways. He could hide him. He could travel with him. He could. I mean, he could do so many things. He has such a vast knowledge of magical creatures. So I think. That yeah, exactly. I mean, he can. He, he can help him definitely. But I think it depends on. I mean, they make the point that Joe uh, wants to get rid of all those people who Harry could. Uh, depend on, but does that mean that she actually has to kill them, or that if Harry just thinks that, you know, they aren't there at the time for him, that he'll be, you know, better at facing well, Voldemort? I don't I think just... she literally means she's going to kill everyone that he depends on, because then, you that, know... That would mean Ron, Hermione, <laughs> yeah. Ginny... Yeah. Well, I don't really see a reason to kill off Hagrid. There, Besides what you guys are mentioning, I just don't see it. I don't think there's a purpose in killing off Hagrid. Of course, he, well, the one purpose that, I mean, the main purpose from all these deaths is to show that it is a war and that there are going to be casualties on both sides. You know, you can't just have Voldemort and all these Death Eaters dying and everyone going home, holding up butter beers, you know, shouting, hooray, we won the war. Yeah, right. But okay, in every book, I think, I don't know, I just enjoy, I just always, you know, I get the end of Goblet of Fire after, you know, the the climax of the book. In the denouement, I think is what it's called. Is that right? The what? Sorry. The denouement. The what? Uh, oh. Have you heard that term, Laura? Yeah, I think that's right. 
What the hell is it's like it's like the after the climax, Hang you know, on. the sort of ease down. How do you pronounce it? How do you spell that? Denouement. Yeah, it looks like denouement. Yeah. How did you How did you say it? It's denouement. It's denouement, isn't it? It's Hang on, I'm looking it, it up is in, in my it's, dictionary. It's, no, 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 it, 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 it's D-E-N-O-U-E-M-E-N-T. It is definitely not Demuna, or however you pronounce it's it. It's How is it It sounds like, it's D-E-N-O-U-E-N. No, O-U-E. M-E-N-T. O-U-E. No, it's not. It's Denu. It's D-E-N-O-U-E-M-E-N-T. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, Denuma. Oh, wow. Hold on. Ben, yeah. there's no point This is what happens. This is what happens when you go to Moundridge High School, okay? Ben, I, trust me, it's right. I studied it yeah, like a couple, like, he's uh, right, a couple of years ago. Ben. Denouma. Den- Denouma. Isn't it, Denouma. Isn't it like a Denouma. deadpan... Isn't it like deadpan purging? It's the unraveling of the plot. Yeah. But anyways, at every, in every book, during the, den- the Denouma, <laughs> at, Harry, always goes and, he, Harry always goes and talks to Hagrid. And I just can't see Hagrid not being there. You know, it just always seems like Hagrid's the... You know, the the control throughout the entire series. He's always there. You know, it stays the same with him. And I just can't see him dying. If he dies, I'll be sad. I'll be sad. He'll too. cry. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Joe's counting on that. She's she's making sure I'm she won't kill anybody that'll make me sad. You'll have to send tissues <laughs> to the P.O. box so that Ben can yeah. cry. Yeah. <laughs> and shoulders okay, well, and shoulders. If you can send some shoulders so that yeah. Ben can well, cry. Does anyone else <laughs> does anyone house does anyone else have any thoughts about Hagrid dying? I'm neutral. Please don't let it happen. Go either way. <laughs> yeah, I'm neutral as well. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'll, Me too. I'll remain neutral. <laughs> so again, well, one more point where we haven't even nearly reached a uh, conclusion. <laughs> sorry about that. It's just there's so much evidence pointing both ways that it's hard for us to to pull it off. Okay. Well, this is sort of a this thing is this next announce this next listener rebuttal type thing is sort of turned into its own segment each week where we people keep sending in new nicknames for Micah, and so here are a few of them. We have Micah Angelo, like either the Ninja Turtle or the artist. That was from Ryan, eighteen of Virginia, and then there's Mister Bombastic or the Bombardier. That's <laughs> and then here's here's my personal here's my personal favorite. Microphone. <laughs> hey. This is from JP16 from New Zealand. So yeah, send in your new uh, Micah nicknames. Everyone keeps sending them in. I still like to bomb bomb. <laughs> la 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 bomb bomb. Micah Angelo right. is good. I like that. My, yeah, that, that is a good one. <laughs> he paints he paints enormous like frescoes of Harry Potter news on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, well, I don't even know if that was Michael Angelo. <laughs> I better look it up. A little update on the P.O. Box. We have received one letter in the past week. And you know what, guys, everybody? I blame myself for not acknowledging you enough on the show. So, as a result, sometime between the release of this episode and our Las Vegas podcast, I'm going to make a list of everyone who has ever sent in a letter to the P.O. Box, and I'm going to post that on the website. I, 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 have, I have all of the mail somewhere, so I'll just a matter of digging it out. So, so Ben, and are you going to have two separate lists, one for the stuff that you've actually sent and um, which the we, stuff for which will have th- that's still sitting in your, in your closet? Ben, Ben. Um, no. <laughs> Yes. Can I blame you as well on air? Uh, because Ben hasn't sent us anything that's come into the no, PO box. No, no, I have. I've sent Micah his stuff. Sent Eric. I've sent Laura. I've yeah, sent he Andrew, sent me sent two Kevin. Christmas cards. Wait, and... so wait. You sent everyone's except mine. 
Yes, because I don't feel like paying post to Britain. Ben, it's not going to cost much for, for, for Buy one your MuggleCast t-shirts so that Ben can pay for the postage. <laughs> yeah. Please, yeah. <laughs> well, another thing about the P.O. Box. Um, I for I don't have the letters in front of me, but a thanks to Joel from mwatson.us for sending me some Subway gift cards. Ben, that's your and site. Gotten, ben, I know. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't matter. That's where he's from, and he sent me Subway gift cards, okay? That's like me he, saying... the MuggleCast box. That's like me saying, and a thanks to Jamie Lawrence for sending me a Subway gift card. Re- yeah. Thanks very much, Jamie. That's really nice of you. So, yes, your new Subway, any of your Subway gift cards are very are accepted. They are very much appreciated. The battle against childhood obesity for me it continues to be waged. I'm now 15 pounds lighter than when I started, so... Nicely done. Applause. High five. You know, those uh, gummy bears that you were eating before the show... Yeah. Hey. (laughs) Those were definitely helping. I know, those were. Okay. Yeah, so... Well, now it's time... Oh, so I was just going to say, if you want to send your Christmas cards, send them now, and they might get to us on time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So go ahead and start sending your... Christmas cards for Christmas 2015. Send them now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you guys are just a riot. By that time, we'll be at uh, MuggleCast 436. Yeah. Well, did you figure that out, Greg? You're good. <laughs> good <Greg>. now, <laughs> I did that all in my head. Now it's time for this week's main discussion. An interview with David Heyman, Steve Clovis, Mark, Ra- Mark Radcliffe, and J.K. Rowling on the Prisoner of Azkaban DVD Extra, November 23, 2004. J.K. J- Rowling had this to say. Alfonso has have very good intuition about what would and wouldn't work. He's put things in the film that, without knowing it, um, foreshadow things that are going to happen in the final two books. So I really got goosebumps when I saw a couple of those things because I thought people are going to look back on the film and think those were put in deliberately as clues. What do you guys think that Prisoner of Azkaban foreshadowed in Half-Blood Prince, and what do you think it's going to foreshadow in book seven? In Half-Blood Prince, the obvious thing there was the uh, relationship between Hermione and Ron, or the love there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's been <laughs> foreshadowed everywhere, just because it's funny. That's been... That was foreshadowed before the first book was even. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere. Jenna um, wrote a really good editorial on... Well, I know, it was really good reading. I really enjoyed it. Uh, one quote particularly stood out, stood out, one from Sirius. It's cruel that I got to spend so much time with James and Lily and you so little... But know this, the ones that love us never really leave us. And you can always find them in here. I mean, have you read this uh, editorial? Because it was really, really interesting. Well, in the editorial, she brings up the fact that Sirius himself said this to Harry could be a huge clue. Not only that, but it could easily be added into the film as a nice emotional line without knowing that it could serve as a, serve a greater purpose. Not only do I think it could possibly foreshadow something to do with finding Sirius after his death, but we know that Harry's heart is essential to power he must use to vanquish the Dark Lord. So yeah. what Jenna's trying to point out here is that it – foreshadows perhaps serious dying and then I don't know I think it just it's to do with love though it's, it's clearly got something to do with you know the weapon that Harry uses against uh... yeah it has to do with Harry's power over Voldemort yeah I just don't know if he's talking I mean obviously he isn't talking you know literally Harry can't open up his chest and find his parents and that, yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh... <laughs> but uh... <laughs> I just you know it depends if he means he can find them, he can feel them, you know, saying, come on, Harry, you can do it. 
or if he can get some actual kind of power from them that helps him defeat Voldemort. I just don't know if he's t- if she's talking literally, sorry, as in figuratively, or if she's talking magically, you know. I don't know. In the movie, Dumbledore tells Harry and Hermione to retrace their steps when they go back in time. Three times should do it, I think. Oh, by the way, when in doubt, I find retracing my steps to be a wise place to begin. Good luck. In the book, he says nothing of the sorts. Could this be how Harry tracks down the Horcruxes by retracing Voldemort's steps that he's shown in the Pensieve? What do you guys think? Eh. That'd be cool. I just think it was an easier way to explain it on screen. Yeah, yeah that's definitely why. I don't know. Some people, like, I've brought this up before. It just seems like any time that there's something, like, people overanalyze stuff. I mean... Because we don't. Ben, Ben, Ben. I know. I'm hypocritical, isn't it? You're on a podcast that is committed to overanalyzing every single theory on Earth. Yeah. So (laughs) sorry about that. Don't, don't, don't mail bomb me, please. (laughs) Okay. And in um, the thing about, go ahead. Go on. Go on. No, go on. You go if you want. Okay. The thing about (laughs) this is that um, I think it seems a bit too logical that Harry's going to track down the uh, Horcruxes by retracing Voldemort's steps. We know. I mean, you know. Logical's good, because it, it gets you there, but Harry isn't always the most level-headed, logical person. I don't, I don't think he'd want to do that. You know, I just don't think that's the kind of thing he'd want to do. Obviously, he has to find a base to go, but I think he'll find that from asking people. And I'm not quite sure how he can do it, how he can track people down through the... How he can track down the Horcruxes in the Pensieve, because... Or I don't know, maybe, I think he can utilise the Pensieve... Especially the, oh, with yeah, the memories it, of Voldemort, it'll help him definitely. Mm-hmm. But I just don't know what you know. In the way I think, the, how much I, in the go. way I think Dumbledore's lessons that he gives Harry in Book Six are the way of, of you know he. I think he had a feeling that he may not be around much longer, so he said, "He's oh Harry, we need to. I need to give you as much knowledge as possible." And that's why the lessons were focused more on uh, you know filling his head with knowledge rather than. Hey, let's go out. I'll show you all these new advanced magic advanced spells. <laughs> it's like, hey man, look at this. I just got this from uh, Toys R Us. It's, th- it's the best spell ever. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Th- this is going completely uh, off on a tangent here, but I was, you know, Dumbledore, and I don't mean to speak ill of the dead, bless Dumbledore's soul, but uh, the thing that really annoyed me in Half Blood Prince was how he seemed sort of holier than thou all the time with his, when they were on the boat across to the island, uh, and. Dumbledore said that uh, Harry's powers wouldn't register compared to his, you know, and just stuff. And and when they left Privet Drive, and he said that he didn't think he would be um, attacked because he's with him, you know, it just I don't know. Those things just kind of got me. But was interesting. I don't think it was. He Dumbledore. did that. He did that through the whole book. Right. But what, what, what I thought was cool was that towards the end, he sort of when he was when Harry was transporting Dumbledore back to the castle shortly before Dumbledore was killed. Dumbledore says, we'll be all right. Yeah, I'm he was just, like, I'm, I'm with, with you. you. Yeah, I'm with you. But, that made me but, cry. <laughs> but why do you think what, Why do you think Dumbledore s- said all that throughout the entire book? Do you think it was to inspire Harry and trying to get him to better well, himself? Well, confidence is, any, is everything in most mm-hmm. situations. You know, you don't want to be overconfident, but I don't think Dumbledore was really being overconfident because... I think he was being honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think. Would you have anything? Put yourself in Harry's situation. Do you think there's anything to worry about when when you're with the uh, most one of the most powerful wizards in the world? 
I, I would. Yes, I no, but no, but there is. That's the point. Now, of course, there is. It's got to a. It's got to a point now where this war can't be won by one man. Of course, there's something to worry about. I would not even considering how powerful Dumbledore is, probably one of the greatest wizards ever to have lived. You know, I would still feel vulnerable uh, considering all the. All that Voldemort's done, everything he can do. You know, it, in that cave, I don't think it's possible to feel safe, even if you're with, you know, a million wizards with a billion wands each. You know, and uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But moving moving back to this to the topic of, at hand, Ben, can I just go back to that quickly? Uh, okay, go ahead. I think also it's to tell Harry that he isn't even nearly ready to. Uh, battle Voldemort, because even though he, he has love and all these things, he's simply not powerful enough magically. You know, I think Joe would be doing an injustice if Harry fought Voldemort now and won. He simply can't do it. I know in, you know, in like, it's like in, in Star Wars, um, in Star Wars Episode 2, and I don't want to draw parallels to Star Wars, as I've done before. I do, obviously, want to draw parallels to Star Wars, but um, it's like when Count Dooku fights Anakin in Star Wars Episode 2. Uh, he it isn't powerful enough to beat him then. You know, it, it doesn't matter that it's a that it's a film. He just isn't powerful enough to beat him. And I don't think Harry is now. And I think it could be Dumbledore telling him him that you know he's he's powerful and he has what it takes, but he needs to improve slightly. He needs to get his in gear. Yeah, he does. <laughs> hey, moving back to the main discussion about Prisoner of Azkaban foreshadowing things, we see towards the end of Prisoner of Azkaban where Snape stands in front of Harry, Ron, and Hermione protect, to protect them from the werewolf Lupin. Do you think that Snape could some way sacrifice himself, especially with the new the new vicious werewolf that we get introduced to in Half-Blood Prince, Greyback? Do you think that it's likely that, or you know, a possibility that that Snape could, you know, get in the way when Greyback is attempting to attack? Couldn't that just have been like um, adult instinct? though, to protect them from, you know, it's just his instinct to jump in front of children and protect them from, you know, an evil. I mean, I know what you mean, that, uh, you know, the way he did it, he put his arms around them and, and tried to protect them, but it could be his instinct as a teacher taking over, you know. Yeah, that's true, mm-hmm. too. Laura, do you have any thoughts on it? I think it's possible. Um, one thing that I think is probably important to point out was in the book, Snape was knocked out, and in the movie, they had him wake up. So I don't know if they did that for the specific purpose of maybe kind of symbolizing the life debt that he feels like he owes to James and therefore unto Harry, or if it's some kind of foreshadowing, you know, for Greyback. But I don't know. I think that it would be, I think it'd be more of a poetic justice type thing if it were um, Remus that saved them from Greyback than Snape. Especially since, wasn't Lupin bitten bitten. by Greyback? Greg, do you have anything to say? It could go either way. In, in Again, concept, but <laughs> I love I love Greg is yeah. Captain Obvious every every week. I oh, am. No. I think something might happen with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's possible hey, that something is possibly going to happen in Book Seven. <laughs> yeah, that's a, involving that's a, that's a, a pretty, werewolf in a, general. Yeah, it's a pretty solid theory there, Greg. <laughs> grounded in s- significant, you know. Evidence. Hey, I I, I go I by these things with the hope that nobody will ask me any questions. Yeah. And I'll just be able to make jokes and laugh. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good way of doing it. It's a good way of doing it. We all know that love plays a central theme in the books, and uh, Harry's mother's love for him is what saved him in, in, the, in the beginning, back when Voldemort showed up at his house that night. But in Half-Blood Prince, we learned that, that everyone, pretty much everyone, had a crush on, Lil, on Lily Evans. And uh, in, in the Prisoner of Azkaban l- movie, Harry has a conversation with Lupin about Lily. Oh, yes. 
I knew her. Your mother was there for me at a time when no one else was. Not only was she a singularly gifted witch, she was also an uncommonly kind woman. She had a way of seeing the beauty in others, even and perhaps most especially when that person could not see it in themselves. And your father, James, on the other hand, he, uh, <laughs> he had a certain, shall we say, talent for trouble. A talent, rumor has it, he passed on to you. You're more like them than you know, Harry. In time, you'll come to see just how much. And you think that this was foreshadowing Slughorn saying that to know Lily was to love her comments in Half-Blood Prince? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it specifically foreshadows that. I think that it, it could definitely be foreshadowing something because they clearly overemphasized, well, n- not overemphasized, but really emphasized it in the film. You know, Lupin's conversation through the uh, forest and on the bridge, you know, about Lily. I mean, it's clearly... You know, the thing about Lily is it it's clearly an important thing that's going to prove really, really significant in the seventh book. I, I don't think it's foreshadowing anything specifically. I think it's just, again, emphasizing how important Lily was and the color of Harry's eyes, obviously. I think it was just going off of what we knew about Lily from previous yeah, books, because especially right. in Order of the Phoenix, we saw that even though she wasn't particularly fond of Snape, she still stood up for him. And I think they kind of took that in the Prisoner of Azkaban movie to kind of enhance the perception of how gentle she was. Yeah, I think that's right. You guys, you guys mentioned this earlier, but the Her- Hermione Ron relationship definitely gets foreshadowed. It's foreshadowed everywhere in every movie, though. Yes, Jamie said that it's foreshadowed before the start of book one. <laughs> yeah, it was. But grab but, arm. Oh I think my it's, gosh, I just grabbed your arm. I think it's... um. Quit touching yeah. my arm. Do you, do you think it's less foreshadowing now? I mean, I personally think, especially from the third film, it's less foreshadowing and more actually getting into it, you know, because uh, there's a point where when things are actually happening, it's not foreshadowing anymore, you know? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, especially now, Joe doesn't really have time to foreshadow things. You know, things have to either happen right. or not. So I think it's more, you know, well, getting you into know, it. Book seven, book seven can't foreshadow anything more, <laughs> you know, unless it happens later on in the book. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, oh yeah. Definitely. Because I was just reading Half-Blood Prince not too long ago, and I noticed that in the early on, you can definitely tell the romance stuff is going to happen. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, see, you see Harry get jealous of Ginny. He starts thinking about Ginny a lot more. You see Ron and Hermione. I don't know. You see Ron trying to show off in front of Hermione a lot more. And But also... It's definitely... But also, they had time to, like, do that kind of stuff. You know, then, now, it's either fight or flight, you know, they either get married, well, you know, this is a bit sort of, you know, um, ultimatum-like, but they either get married or they don't, because, you know, the seventh book, they can't say, well, let's see how it goes, because A, because, you know, there's a war going on, and one of them could not be there right at the end, and also, Joe doesn't really have time, she's got to tell us what's happening with them, so... Do you guys think that Ron and Hermione might actually get married, or do you think they'll just be together? Well, Did you see a marriage actually happening in the early parts of Book 7? <laughs> I don't think if anyone gets married, it's going to be during the course of Book 7. I think we'll see it in the epilogue. 
I think that getting well, married well, at you seventeen see, it's kind of like would be. War. Yeah, but getting getting married at seventeen. Can you even do that? World War II for the draft. Of course you can. I mean, in the magical world, you become of age at 17. And when people were leaving for the draft for World War II here in the U.S., you heard about all these marriages. People barely even knew each other. They'd get married before Wait, they Wait, exactly. And, you know, and it has to be their only chance. Mirror real well, that's like, that's like what Bill and Fleur well, did, though. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that's what they did. And I don't think that she'd need to show us that again. She's already shown us that aspect of the war. And I just don't think that if... Harry and Ginny or Ron and Hermione were going to get married, we'd see it until that epilogue because she said that everyone who lives, we're going to find out what happens to them after the final chapter yeah, of the true, war. Yeah, that is true. Good point, Laura. Good point. Now it's time for this week's This Week in Potter. On July 8th of 2000, of 2000 Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was released. It's hard. It's weird to think that that was six years it is. ago. I know. Jamie Lawrence, where were where you? Where was I? Um, Goblins of Fire. July 7th at midnight. Go- well, it's, prob- it's quite shameful for me to say this, but I was probably tucked up in bed thinking, I'll buy my copy tomorrow. There's no rush at all. How wrong I was, of course. Now, it's all about getting the book first, reading it first, you know, those kind of things. It's not, it's not. But yeah, I think I was tucked up in bed thinking about anything but Harry Potter, which I'm, I'm ashamed to say that. Really. That's for me. It, yeah. it is. Where were you at, Laura? Well, I was 11 years old, and I just moved to Georgia, so I was lonely, and I had no friends. And that's still, I was still at. Shut up! No, I was at. <laughs> um, I was at Zany Brainy. Zany Brainy is this. For those of you who don't know, it's this huge toy store. I don't know where all they have them, but they have them here, and it's like some of them have multiple floors. And I went, and they just had a huge Harry Potter party, and that's where I was. Ah. I know, I all dressed up. At, <laughs> where were you, Greg? I was at the Borders in Belden Village Mall, or near Belden Village Mar- Mall. How old were you then? 11? I forget, yeah, something like that. But that was, I had just read the first three books uh, within three weeks before book four release. <laughs> my, my story is not very exciting. Um, I had not read a single <gasps> Harry Potter book. Yet. We're all, we're all, oh my gosh! <laughs> we have to, we to, no. catch. We have to, we have to stone Ben now. Uh, hey, yeah. hold on, hold on though. I do remember. I do remember July seventh at eleven p.m. I was sitting in my living room watching Nightline with Ted Koppel. Good, good American TV show on ABC. Anyways, there was a big story about the Harry Potter phenomenon, and it showed people lined up at Barnes and Noble, you know, about the book, getting ready to get the books. And Ben and stuff. thought, and, and Ben thought, you I, sad, sad people. Why would you ever line up? Well, what was actually? <laughs> then one year yeah, later, it was yeah, him. Yeah, kind, that kind of. <laughs> yeah, it, it was almost that way. And then my mom leans over. My mom, my mom was watching TV with me. And she says, "Hey, is, is, is are these books really that great?" I was like, oh, yeah, I've read them all. I just, I just lied to her because I don't want to – I, I don't know why I did. But I told her I'd read them all, and I really hadn't. And so, yeah, that, that was before I even got into Harry Potter. I didn't get into Harry Potter until December 2002. So it was almost two years after – more than two – two and a half years after the release of Goblet of Fire was – We shouldn't be telling people these things. They'll, um, picked up a Harry they'll lose faith in us. You know? No, they won't. I mean I've – I went all out though. You know, I – Joined right up at MuggleNet. You got right in there. Yeah, I don't think I can talk committee. to you anymore. I have to go. I mean, <laughs> oh, my entire Greg. opinion of you has yeah. changed. Earlier this week, Jamie, Andrew, and myself sat down with Warwick Davis, who plays Professor Flitwick in the Harry Potter films. And here's the interview that we did with him. 
So we are now joined by Warwick Davis, who, as many of you know, plays Professor Flitwick and several of the Gringotts Goblins in the Potter films. And recently he's played roles in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Ray, and will reprise his role as Flitwick in Order of the Phoenix. So welcome, Warwick. How are you doing today? Thank you very much. I'm doing well. Thank you. Okay, good. Thanks for joining us on the show today. And uh, Jamie, you want to get right into the questions? First question, um, I know quite a few people asked you this, Warwick, and especially at Collectomania. I know you got a lot of people who came up and just uh, asked you this straight away. But can you elaborate on why Warner Brothers changed the appearance and clothes of Flitwick between films? Okay, this is something that um, when it happened, I knew was going to cause a lot of confusion amongst uh, you know fans of the movies. And, uh, and finding a very sort of straightforward and... and short explanation is quite difficult um when it came to the third movie of course the looks of the whole films had changed um yeah uh, alfonso really wanted to put his mark on the films and and a lot of things altered um any, anything from character looks to the actual layout of hogwarts itself so and, and then another and, and another thing was happening at the same time there wasn't really anything for flitwick in the script uh, at all and uh and I got a call one day that uh, from the producer that was saying, basically, you know, there's nothing for you, but we'd love you to be in the film all the same. How do you fancy yeah. coming in and doing a kind of a cameo in the movie as somebody else? And I said, well, that's no, great. Thanks for asking. You know, I'm, I'm always thrilled to be part of all of this anyway. So I went in for a meeting with Alfonso, the director, and uh, and Nick Dudman, who's the uh, makeup um, supervisor. And uh, we came up with this new look for this character who would be basically the conductor of the uh, the sort of frog chorus uh, in the Great yeah. Hall, and uh, so we went with that. When it became, uh, when it came to the making of the fourth movie, Michael Newell, um, he really wanted to uh, to use the character he'd seen in Number Three for me, uh, and there was quite a bit more on that movie. I was on it for forty five days, so there was a lot more stuff going on, and uh, and I started to raise the question: you know, what is this guy called? Who is he? He was known as the choir conductor in Three. Was he still that? You know, I'd, I'd kind of yeah. wanted to figure that out, and uh, they said, okay, now we'll call him Flitwick. And I said, well, possibly that's going to cause a bit of confusion. But they said, no, that's what we're going to go with. We're going to go with Flitwick. All the looks have changed. You know, it's it's now a bit more kind of nineteen sort of fifties styley. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go with that. So so hence he became Flitwick. I like to think in my mind that perhaps this is a relative of Professor Flitwick. You know, this is his perhaps a brother or a cousin. He's yeah. he's not a professor either. He's just Flitwick, and he teaches magical music. That's my justification for it in my own mind, <laughs> because uh, it's it's kind of a question I get asked all the time. So hopefully now this has uh, set the record straight. There, <laughs> no, that's cleared it up. Yeah, do you uh, do you prefer one to the other, or do you just see them as completely different? You can't you you know you can't compare them. They're played differently, and they're. I, I see them as being very different, to be honest. I mean, I'm very fond of the old Flitwick. It was so fun playing something that's so... There, there are pluses and minuses for each one. The, the old Flitwick is fun to play. It's fun playing somebody so totally different from yourself. And uh, uh, and I kind of was fond of the, the old guy, really, in a way. Uh, but the new Flitwick allows me to be a lot more active and stuff. I wouldn't have imagined the old Flitwick crowd yeah. surfing somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you about the crowd surfing. Now, while we're on this... That scene came about purely because I, I made a joke uh, to Michael Newell. Um, 
because we were doing the, the sequence in the Great Hall. I mean, it was the best few weeks. That was fantastic. It was very near Christmas we were shooting that, and it was just such a wonderful atmosphere. And, the, the, you know, with all the dancing, the music, we, of course, had um, Jarvis Cocker and the, the Radiohead guys there, and um, and it, it was really a, a great sort of sequence to shoot. And, uh, and I suggested, I knew they were going to do this mosh sort of sequence. I said, wouldn't it be funny if, our, as the music started, Flitwick kind of crowd surfs <laughs> and... Um, and Mike Neal, of course, just chuckled and said, oh, you know, super. Yeah, definitely. He said, actually, leave that with me. And I was like, you what? And uh, anyway, on Monday, he came back in again after the weekend and said, you know what you said? We're actually going to do that. And I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I just I couldn't, couldn't believe it. So uh, so that's, that's how that got into into the movie. Uh, it, was, it was purely because me messing about. And there's so much stuff that was never used, whether any any day you'll see it. But there's there's loads of stuff of Flitwick air guitaring, and I mean, oh, there's, man. Just, there's just hours really? of stuff of me messing about, um, uh, having a good time. So uh, you never know; it may come back to haunt me in future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it will work. Work. Have you had a chance to be on the Order of the Phoenix set yet? I have. I've done uh, a couple of days there. Um, I don't have a huge amount of work to do on this one. Um, well, could you describe the atmosphere uh, in comparison to the previous films? Um, is it darker specifically? I mean, because the you know the books obviously a lot a lot lot darker. And I mean, I know quite a few fans are wondering if, I mean, is it going to be a complete change from the other films? Because obviously they've got darker mm. as um, as you know the series has got darker and the contents got darker. Uh, it's turned from a sort of more fantasy like story into a real world you know war type thing. So do you think that the atmosphere on set and like the way that people are portraying their characters reflects this well for me i haven't noticed really a change in the atmosphere to be quite honest um you know in all of the other movies we'd had very dark times very sort of scenes that were very moving and emotional and dark um to do and and i've not noticed anything particularly you know more so uh on, on this film certainly um uh, we've got quite a few different um, different crew on there and that sort of thing, but uh, that really is the only difference. You know, we're we're back in familiar surroundings, familiar sets with cast members that I've been working with for you know the past what is it now six years. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it doesn't feel that different to be quite honest. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't say. <laughs> What's the new uh, director like, David Yates? Have you had much time to work with him? Yeah, he's. Um, He's very different again. All the directors have been a complete contrast to each other, but they all bring something very special and unique to the projects. And uh, and and he's very particular. He's very detailed. He's very thorough in his direction as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've enjoyed the work that I've done with him so far. Do you like sort of changing directors? Like you know, because they've clearly all got different styles. Do you like that type of thing, or do you prefer sticking with one style? throughout the series um, no I, I think that they all the directors bring something pretty fresh to the project and uh and and put their own unique stamp on on harry potter and uh i think it's all for the the better that, that, that each one of them does that because i mean i liked i liked the first two i thought they were good in what they did but i prefer um the sort of more you know the darker mm, sort mm. of more serious directing but i suppose that comes with the film you well, know it's like the first book isn't as dark so then the first film should well, that's really right be. and all of the all of the uh the characters are growing up as well so the subject matters are going to become more adult as they do so um so yeah, i think definitely. the films have grown up with the characters and then with the actors in turn um so uh you know i think that will probably be a continuing kind of curve as we go on into the the, the other two books which at this point nobody knows whether will become films or not but uh 
You know, I'm right. sure. Yeah. I, I'm kind of pretty sure that they will, but I know nothing uh, nothing of that. Have you filmed any of your scenes for the new film? I mean, obviously, you know, we don't want to ask you something that you can't answer, but if you could give us some type of insight, it'll be nice. Yeah, I can't really say very much. I have filmed some scenes, uh, and they were scenes in the Great Hall. That's all I can pretty much tell you at this point. Okay. <laughs> oh, excellent. Okay. And that building is a great building, you know. that's a It's it's a set down at Leavesden Studios in London, and uh, it's... It's like no other set I've been on because it is like it's a real building. It has history now. It's got six years' worth of memories for me um, playing all sorts of scenes in there from great banquets in the first movie to um, a funeral scene and then a, a Yule ball. I mean, it, it's gone through so many transformations yeah. and, and has had so many different scenes played in there that you know itself is a historical building. And it will be very sad if they, they don't kind of preserve it in some way after all this is over. You know, because it, it it's wonderful to walk in there because it is exactly as you see it in the movie. This is what's great about everything you do on Harry Potter. It, it's as you see it. So, does it feel like the Great Hall to you, or does it, or does it still feel like you're, you know, filming in a building that changes? No, it, it feels it feels like the Great Hall to me because when you're in there and you're you're performing a scene, you very much kind of. Um, you're just so into the scene and into the character and what's going on. You, that's how you see it. So it has basically become yeah. that for me. You know, when I go in there, I have all the memories and all the feelings and it smells like the Great Hall and you know, it, it's got all of that yeah. that history about it. Um, so it's... Uh, no, it is. It's a pretty uh, unique place. It's it's fantastic. Although it doesn't smell quite so good sometimes, actually. I'm thinking about this. Uh, on the first movie, um, we used to these banquets in there, and, and we use real food. All of the stuff you see is real. The, the huge, is the huge really, turkeys and all, all of the, the pigs and all the things you're eating there, it's all real. But after kind of days two and three, the food is the same food. A week yeah, film. Uh, yeah. They don't replace it. They just kind of gloss it a bit and make it look fresh again. And uh, they just kind of go around each scene and say do not eat the food remember and you're like you wouldn't anyway because it, it <laughs> there's the smell is quite Six unreal days. yeah <laughs> oh, that's good because i mean i like those kinds of you know grand filming locations because um i'm at university in durham and we uh spend quite a bit of time in the mm-hmm. cathedral and i know there's a bit of filming down there i think in the one part of the cathedral oh, i really? think was used in the filming of the first film was it or the second film or something. I know they have been to Durham. Yeah, I went down to Gloucester at one point, but uh, I know they went to Durham. I just think it's brilliant how they can get all these real-world, you know, churches and cathedrals and, you know, sets and just turn them into what looks like a magical place still, you know. I just think it's brilliant. Well, absolutely, yeah, that's right. We use the cloisters, actually, down at uh, in Gloucester Cathedral, and uh, it, it does look like a corridor in, in Hogwarts. You know, it saves building a set, and it has a certain yeah. kind of authenticity to the stone, of course, because it's real stone, and uh, it all works uh, works rather well. Do you think, is Professor Flitwick the kind of character that you would like to be remembered for, or is or does one of your other previous roles stand out for you? Well, I, I've been very lucky. I've had a, a lot of pretty good roles in my career to date. I mean, I've had a lot of roles that are memorable for one reason or another. Um, you know, Wicked You're the in Star Wars. correct? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'll come to him in a moment. Um, okay. <laughs> but you've got Wicked in Star Wars, who is a, a character that is, is kind of... is, is some a, a character that a lot of people grew up with, a lot of kids and a, well, a lot of grown-ups now are saying, oh, I used to have a teddy of Wicket and, you know, love the character and all this sort of thing. So he did have a... He, he certainly made his mark there with, with people in the world. And then, of course, you've got the film Willow, which is, is still 
really, really popular. Yeah. Now it's come out on DVD. You've got, um, you know, people that have now grown up themselves and had kids. They're handing on that movie to the kids and saying, I, I grew up watching this. Check it out. And uh, so it's becoming sort of generational type of a film and still what well, is more popular now than it was when it came out. So I have a huge amount of sort of recognition still from that. And then coming on now to The Leprechaun, that, that has its own sort of band of um, insane followers um, throughout the world. Um, I've seen a lot of those movies. Those are very good. Yeah, well, thank you. I actually saw them really recently. I thought they were excellent. I was sort of flicking through the uh, films, and it said, you know, Warwick Davis stars The Leprechaun. So I thought, well, I'll watch this, you know. And it was sort of uh, 2 a.m., and the lights were off. And uh, Yeah, it's it, they're just kind of crazy, just kind of... I, I suggest people take their brain out and put it in the fridge and then watch the movie, because it's not a thinking man's <laughs> movie. It's just get on and just have fun and enjoy it. And uh, and they are gradually becoming, you know, cult movies. They're, they're, they're showing over here yeah. on the Horror Channel now, so people in the U.K. are now getting to see the movies. They, they weren't released here, you see, on DVD very widely, so people here were kind of crying out to get hold of them uh, but now a lot of people have seen them and uh, I'm constantly asked especially when I go to America to uh, to record voicemail for people as the leprechaun uh, oh as the leprechaun yeah <laughs> do you um the uh, third third leprechaun film did you actually film in Vegas that's right that... we did we we went to Vegas just for one day though one one night shoot in Vegas because uh, you know they're fairly yeah. low budget movies and it's quite expensive to shoot there so we we the the, the film actually licensed lots of slot machines into California and built a set uh, in a hotel in oh, okay. uh, downtown LA. It was actually the Ambassador Hotel. It was the, the hotel where um, one of the Kennedys was assassinated in the kitchen down underneath. It's a, it's a very famous oh, okay, yeah. hotel where oh. the first Oscars were held, I believe. So uh, we shot in there and then we went to Vegas for one night. We had no permits to shoot and they basically walked me out into the middle of the, the strip that runs through the center of Las Vegas and said, right, try and pretend you're kind of hitching a ride. And then just shot, shot the reactions of people and what I was getting up to. They sent me walking into casinos and out again and just did all of this stuff, you know, as it was happening kind of thing. And um, and it was it was fun to do because by then people knew the character. But I just thought I was going to get attacked by yeah. some crazy man. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so we, I've, I've certainly done a huge variety of different things on those movies as well. You know, it's... Uh, it, it, anything from rapping to uh you know the elvis uh, that's the elvis as well that's right <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it, they've been very good to me those films and uh people are crying out for a seventh one and um there's actually uh, a kind of a spoof uh, little trailer on the internet at the moment with uh, leprechaun versus wishmaster which uh, is quite amusing to see oh is that is that with um andrew Divoff, is it's it? It's the guy. What they've the done, they've taken ones. clips from both the movies, put them together as if it's a trailer for a new film, and it's been very cleverly done. Because, oh. you know, you could be convinced mm. if you didn't know otherwise. Uh, yeah. But people want a versus movie. They want a, a Lep versus Chucky or something like that. But uh, That yeah. would be good. Yeah. That would be good. Um, whether this will happen, I, I have no idea, but um, we shall see. I mean, it's a, I suppose it's the kind of film where there are all different possibilities that can come for it. You know, whether it's, you know, sequels or verses mm. or... Mm. Just, you know, things like oh, yeah, that. Yeah, you could go on and on, because at the end of each movie, he dies, you see. The leprechaun always dies. Yeah. There's no explanation at the beginning of the next one what happened. He's suddenly in space, or he's, uh, you know, in the hood. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't need explaining, it's just just happens. <laughs> <laughs> you in the process of appearing in any other films now? Do you, do you have any projects lined What's up? What's going on for me at the moment? Let's think about this. Um, I just did my episode of Extras 
You know Ricky Gervais's show Extras. It's I do. I oh, love. Yeah. I love him. He's so. It's funny. an HBO show in America. Um, shows over here in the UK on the BBC, and uh, it's the, if, if for those people who don't know what Extras is, it's uh, it tells the story of Ricky Gervais's character Andy, who is an extra on films, and uh, in each episode he encounters a um, an established actor playing themselves working on a film with them, basically. And, uh, and what it does, it takes the actor's kind of uh, persona, it's, it takes the, the view of the audience and, and turns that completely on its head. So what the audience expected that person to be like, it's nothing like what they're like. Um, and uh, I just did an episode with Daniel Radcliffe, which was, uh, was pretty fun. And uh, I shall not How spoil it. How did that it. go? Oh, it went brilliantly. I mean, it was such fun to do. And, uh, and Daniel's a great sport, as you'll see when you watch the, the, the finished article. Um, we, we've had a good time, so... Uh. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was a quote from you, or um, it got around the fandom uh, the other day, that news, and uh, it said, you and Dan um, are, are a lot different from your roles in Harry Potter, so we're looking forward to that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we are. It, it, it takes our own personalities, and, and just, it's, it's not what you expect, and that's what all the actors do, and in the last series, that's what you saw Patrick Stewart doing. It's uh, It's... Yeah, we're just very different, um, and people will be surprised, and hopefully just have a have fun with it because we certainly did doing it. It was, uh, it was it was really great fun. Do you know when it's going to air? How soon? I'm not sure. I think it'll probably be in the fall. Actually, um, just uh, yeah, they, oh, okay. they don't they take right. too long with these things, uh, and there's loads of outtakes. So look out for the DVD on the last series. There were loads, and oh, okay. as we were shooting this, there's constant laughter and uh, and funny goings <laughs> on. So. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, that, I'm really proud of that. It was it was fun to do. What type of films do you like personally? I mean, um, do you like specific genres or comedy? What type of comedy do you like? I'm a, I'm actually a, a big fan of '80s comedy. Uh, Chevy Chase, John Candy, that kind of John yeah. Hughes movies. Love all of his stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a a fan of all of that stuff. So if if yeah, if I sit down to watch a film, I'll normally pull something like that out that uh, that I'm familiar yeah. with. I'm not a great adventurer in movies. I'm it's it's very rare that I'll because it's such a treat for me to sit down and watch a film anyway. I, I don't get much time to do that. It sounds funny being an actor. You'd think I would always be watching yeah. movies, but I don't. So when I do, I don't want to kind of waste that couple of hours. I think, well, I'll watch something I know I'm going to enjoy. You really yeah, want to watch, I don't take a yeah. chance on movies very much. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then having two children now, of nine and three, I tend to be um, fed a diet of Disney films at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I could answer any question about any of the recent Disney movies, but... Uh, <laughs> Ask me about the uh, the latest, you know, Woody Allen. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I try to ask as many people this as possible. Um, is it different watching films from an actor's point of view? Because I mean, we obviously can't see them and think what it's like to be on the other side of the camera. So I mean, do you do you yeah. watch them from a different perspective? Would, would you say? I do. Since I became an actor, I could never watch a film the same way again. All I see is the shots. I see the performances, I see the mistakes, I see, I just see everything in such a different way. It's, um, it's what I'm used to now, but um, yeah, I, I won't be watching a film like you are. It's, it's quite a shame, actually, because I, I just unravel it. That's what I'm doing all the time. It's, it's yeah. rare that I'll get so into a film I'll forget that. I sometimes do, and that's probably a, a good sign of a good movie. Uh, but, um, so, um, I mean, especially considering your work on the Leprechaun series, could you say that you could get scared by a film now, or do you think you're, you know, so busy analysing it? That... Um, I don't. Again, since having children, I don't watch horror movies anymore. 
uh, I used to be, I used to love them. I mean, growing up, Nightmare on Elm Street was and ha- Halloween are the films that I grew up with. And uh, so, but now that type of film doesn't appeal to me. Although I make them um, to watch them, it doesn't doesn't really appeal to me anymore. Um, for for you know for that very reason of having having kids. Yeah. Now. So. Um, but uh, but yeah, if I if I can watch a movie and and, and laugh and I, I think movies are very important that you can go in there and that's what's so great about Harry Potter is it's escapism. You go in there, you don't want to be reminded of the world that you've just come real world. Yeah, it's lovely <laughs> to go somewhere else. Uh, you know, Star Wars, any of that. Just let's let's escape and then you know for two hours and, and come out feeling um, kind of uplifted. You know, moved. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, that's a sign of a good film, though, Absolutely. isn't it? Really, you know, you're completely taken away from where you, you know, the real world. Certainly, you have to go yeah, back. Certainly. That's a great point. So, um, we hear you're getting into podcasting now. Is that true? Well, yes. Um, I haven't um, done my first one yet, but it's uh, it's certainly something I want to do. Um, I I've very much admired Ricky Gervais's podcast. Again, he does a podcast with Stephen Merchant and uh, a guy called Carl Pilkington, which are basically just three kind of guys chatting about absolute nonsense right. and uh, i quite fancy doing it because uh, talk shows are an area that i really want to get into mm-hmm. um i did some work at the star wars celebration last year in indianapolis where i was one of the uh, the hosts there and uh, was uh, was interviewing other star wars actors uh, in my stage area and i had to put together 12 talk shows and it's something again i went on to do at walt disney world this year i spent five weeks there at Star Wars weekends, um, acting as the uh, the host and the the interviewer, and uh, just enjoyed it so much. And uh, a lot of people said, you know, you should really do a talk show. And so that's something that uh, that I want to get into. But I thought, well, podcasting is every man's radio. Anybody can do it. Right. And I thought, well, yeah. I'll start this this kind of talk show experiment with a podcast, and then uh, prove myself there, and then move into, you know, hopefully television. Talk so, show, yeah. <laughs> but I've got a great name for it: Small Talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, it, it's a great medium because there's really no limits, and if you go look on iTunes or any other podcasting directory, you will find a podcast on every little topic you can imagine. And mm-hmm. I know Ricky's show has gotten huge numbers, huge listener base, and now he's charging yeah. for the shows. I believe so. It's record breaking the, the the first one, and yeah, the it, second, even the charged one was record breaking, and it it made the most money of any podcast ever. Yeah, um, it's amazing. They're just great. I, I every time I'm driving to London for for work, you know, and it's about an hour and hour and a half in the car. You know, I'll download a podcast before I go, and it's better than tuning into the radio. There's no commercials, right? Right. Uh, yeah. You can pick your topic that you want to listen to, and uh, you know, they're fantastic. Exactly. Fantastic things. Yeah. I kind of see them as sort of bringing radio to you know the public. It's like amateur films. You know, that's t- to do with video, but now this is trying to bring you know every type of media medium to anyone you know it's just kind of like that well anyone can have a radio show if they've got a computer and a microphone and a little bit of knowledge because there is a little bit of yeah jiggery pokery to do yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know pretty much anybody can do it which is uh, is what's so great about it yeah and, uh, exactly so uh, so yes i will be uh, will be attempting that i want to do it with another um uh, actor friend of mine but he's in london but um you know using the the techniques that you've been teaching me no limits, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, you can, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Finally, do you have any funny stories about people who have taught you about your role in Potter or any funny stories on set or anything else that will give okay. our listeners a giggle maybe? 
This is a tricky one. I was I knew this one would be coming at some point because it's always difficult <laughs> interviews. So I should have a stash of funny moments in, in my mind. Um, let me think now. I mean, there's some. I don't know. They don't necessarily relate to Potter, but there are there are scary fan moments. You know, I have uh, I have fans who have tattooed images of my characters upon themselves. <laughs> really? Uh, but there's a guy I met once, and uh, he said hi, and he looked perfectly normal, and then he pulled his shirt up and had a tattoo of Willow on his belly. <laughs> and, you know, it was staring me in the face, basically, and it was like, whoa, you know, that's pretty, that's frightening. Yeah. And you see yourself. What can you yeah. say to that? It's all yeah. very... What do you say? Absolutely, and, um, and you know, I see see tattoos of the leprechaun on somebody's arm. It's it's not <laughs> it's me, but it's not. But yeah. when it's it's Willow, it's kind of like looking back at me there. And then he wanted me to sign it, and it was like, <laughs> too much. <laughs> so so, but it, and and again, another really kind of surreal thing about um, you know being an actor and, and now becoming kind of more recognised, I suppose, is that that um, I'll arrive home from being out somewhere and, and check my emails and. Uh, I have a guest book email that comes in from my website and that somebody would have written saying, um, hi, uh, Mr. Davis, I'm the guy who was uh, washing his hands next to you today in the bar. <laughs> I didn't want to bother you, uh, but just wanted to say hi. And then I'll think back and think, yeah, there was a guy and I was a bit worried about him because he was looking at me out the corner of his eye. Was, so that, that's yeah, the kind of away. things that you, uh, yeah, well, that's right. But he was, you know, people will often write in and say they didn't want to bother me, but they were the person that was in such a place at, at yeah. such a time. Uh, so, so that's always quite. That's a nice quite story. Quite <laughs> yeah, mm, mm. but I've got nothing Harry Potter specific. I'm afraid to say. That's okay. Uh, just to say that, that we do all have such a good time working on the films. They're, they're um, you know, with the crew on that, are such an efficient and and professional crew. But uh, you know, at the same time, the atmosphere is very relaxed, and um, you know, we're all having fun doing that job and and enjoy being you know part of that. You know, we know we are only a, a handful of people that have the privilege of doing it and uh exactly yeah it sounds like i mean the impression i've got throughout you know all, all the films and all the set reports and all the sort of you know info that we get that it's just like a, a whole big community you've got there it's not just you know yeah i mean i don't know if this is the case on other films as well but it, i mean it seems to be amplified on potter especially that everyone's friends with everyone you know you're you can always you can always have a laugh oh absolutely yeah i mean it's 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 like a family. No, these people have been working together for six years now. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, you know each other very well. And it, it's like, a, it is like the start of a new term. Again, yeah. Each time we start a new film, it's like the start of a new term. And uh, everyone's grown up a bit. Everyone's a Changed, bit wiser. Changed, I suppose, as well, yeah. Um, you know, and everyone's refreshed at the beginning and then absolutely tired <laughs> out at the end. And uh, so it's it's pretty much like a school. Um, and uh, except each year you have a new headmaster in the director. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, but it's good fun. You know, I, I, I desperately feel very honoured, you know, to be doing it because what a great British cast that we have. Definitely, yeah. You know, I'm always intrigued to see who is the, the next actor or actress that will be joining us. Uh, and I feel very lucky because I'm only one of a handful of actors who have come through uh, all of the films, handful of adult actors, yeah. should I say, that are in all of the films so far. Um, I feel like part of the furniture, actually, now, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> a bit of the set dressing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, are you going back to the Order of Phoenix set anymore? Or are you... I will be. Uh, yes, I I have a uh, some more time in in August to do. Okay. All right. Well, that concludes our interview with Work Davis. Thanks very much for joining us on the show today. Very good. I just wanted to say one more thing. Okay. Before we go, sure. I know I'm probably dragging no, this out, okay. but uh, no, that's fine. I want to let people know who are 
people are in the UK most definitely, but uh, if you're not, then don't worry. But I'm holding a charity auction on Sunday, the uh, the 16th of July here in the UK. And we've got a couple of really cool uh, Harry Potter items in there. Just want to let people know about. We have an original Quidditch World Cup program uh, as used in the Goblet of Fire, and it's signed by Daniel Radcliffe. Nice. Um, and the Quidditch World Cup program is not just a piece of paper. It's a wonderful kind of... It, it's a booklet, uh, but it's hugely detailed. It's, it's a, I can't really describe it. I was so thrilled when I received it from Warner Brothers because it is a great prop and, uh, and something that's, uh, that's pretty rare, uh, especially now Daniel has also signed it. So that's a cool thing. I also have a wand box, which I know there are a few out there, but I have one that's signed by Daniel, myself, and Devon oh, Murray, cool. who plays Seamus. Um, and I've got lots of other signed picks from, from uh, Potter people. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the highlights of the auction. So if anybody's interested, go to my website, warwickdavis.com. On there, you can read the auction catalogue for yourselves. You can also get details of how you could make a telephone bid on the day if you're interested, or details of where to come to be there as I auction these items off in person. So, oh, uh, very good. Excellent. So go check it out, warwickdavis.com. Thank you, no guys. Problem. Thank, Thank you, Warwick. It's brilliant. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you. To make it so that you listeners are able to burn the show on a DVD, we're going to have to cut things short this week and eliminate the voicemails from the show. But they will be back next week, and we have some more options for visitors who are not located within the United States. However, remember, if you are in the U.S., you can dial one two one eight twenty magic and leave a voicemail. For those of you in the United Kingdom, where old Jamie is, dial 020-8144-0677. And for those of you... In the land down under, you, in Australia, you, just said that in a British you can dial 02-8003-5668. And yes, I know that a British accent does not work for Australians. <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> However, British accent does work for our good pal Jamie, who's doing this week's British well, joke of the day. I have a very sad announcement to make. After my last joke last week, I got such bad comments... I just couldn't believe it. My computer almost said, I'm sorry, I'm not displaying this email because it's so bad. I got just... It, oh, I mean, it, it was a terrible... It was a terrible joke, I must admit. But so, instead of going on Google and typing in funny jokes, which I've never, ever done before, I might add, just to find a joke, I am going <laughs> to get two excellent jokes for next week instead of doing one bad one this week and one bad one next week. So please tune in next week for two jokes of the day because... I can't think of any for this week. I'm sorry. I'm going to hold you to that, yeah, Jamie. No, yeah. Jamie, you better do that. I will. I will. They're going to be so you good. Will. You're going to be laughing before <laughs> I even tell them. They're that good <laughs> if you just sense them. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, everybody, that wraps up MuggleCast episode 47. That's all for us here. If you want to leave a voicemail, you can call the numbers I mentioned before. Leave, leave any feedback, comments, or listener rebuttals by contacting us at MuggleCast at staff.mugglenet.com. And by going to MuggleCast.com, you can, you can view all of our contact information and select us from a contact form. And also, finally, a low-bandwidth version of the show is now available. So go ahead, and for those of you on dial-up, you can download the show. It, may not, it will not be as good audio quality, but it won't take you three <laughs> years to download like it was before. So <laughs> go ahead and download the show. And so that wraps things up. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Jamie Lawrence. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Greg Porter. Join us on MuggleCast episode 48 next week. I have a feeling Andrew will be back and some more of the regulars will be. So, good night, everybody. Night.
Sorry about that, guys. Did you, did you fill him in? No. What happened? My boss came in the room. I'm here at work, and he came in the room and started asking me all these questions. Like, man, <laughs> you can leave now. <laughs> did you tell him what you were doing? You couldn't, though, because you get into trouble. Well, he probably would have. I should have said, you know, the guy from the Leprechaun. He was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could have chuckled. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are some of the noises, man. <laughs> 